Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to moms. And uh, I'm gonna, I want to tag on a, a word as well with the uh, Covenant Kids Congo. Um, today would be a great day to sponsor a child, but don't do it just because it's Mother's Day. Um, I don't know if you know that the Covenant has long had a, an investment in, in the Congo in fact, I, when I first came into the covenant back in 97, it was at that midwinter conference that it was announced because of civil war that we were pulling all of our covenant missionaries out of Congo. And I still get emotional when I think about that, that day because we had such a commitment to Congo. In fact, the church in Congo is, is three or four times the size of the covenant church in the U.S. Churches, hospitals, schools, we've had a huge investment. God has blessed and, and made that a very fruitful ministry. And so some years ago, the, the, co- the covenant decided to partner with um, World Vision and sponsor covenant kids, uh, kids in Congo. So we're in sponsoring that. I sponsor a child not in Congo, but I, I'm going to sponsor a child now in Congo myself. Um, my kid is in Madagascar, so... Um, but. Uh, we have a commitment in the covenant. These are our brothers and sisters. And it's another way for us to bless their lives. So I would ask that you would prayerfully consider that. So let's, uh, let's begin our message this morning. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, O God, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So on our money, <clears throat> says in God we trust. But I think most of us would acknowledge the truth that we probably put more trust in mammon than we do in our maker. In fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson said that uh, Americans have little faith. They rely on the power of the dollar. Greed is one of the seven deadly sins that we're, we're going to look at that one today. It affects us all, except mothers, except mothers. They get a pass today. I mean, of all the days to talk about greed on Mother's Day, I mean, mothers are, aren't, aren't they often the antithesis of greed? I mean, many times they're very sacrificial and giving and generous and, and all of that. So, but the truth is that greed is, is something that is endemic to the human condition. It corrupts individuals and organizations, governments and institutions and nations. Greed is almost always... Uh, a, a root, uh, one, of the, one of the problems at the root of powers and principalities. I don't want to say that the church is greedy, but the history of the Christian church has not always been good. It reveals at times an institution or institutions that have grappled with greed. Even our own denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, there's a story of greed found in the very early years of our founding, and I'm going to share it with you. It's kind of a bizarre story. So um, our denomination was founded in 1885. In the 1890s, we started a mission field in Alaska, which, which happened to coincide with the gold rush. What at first was hailed as hope for prospectors, as well as natives and missionaries, turned south. It ended up being another story of exploitation of natives by white people. David Nival, who's the founder of our college and seminary in Chicago of North Park, wrote of that period under the title, Gold and Grief. Greed often leads to grief. 
greed off. In 1897, a student of North Park by the name of P.H. Anderson went to Alaska to help on the mission field. He had received some medical training at, at, at Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago. He went off to Alaska. He became, however, much more interested in gold. He and nearly every other male missionary in Alaska went panning for gold. Anderson, however, struck it rich at what became known as number nine above at Anvil, Anvil Creek. And the denomination at the time, which was only about 12 years old, an immigrant church headquartered in Chicago, was feeling the pinch of hard times and little resources, laid claim to the mine because Anderson was a covenant missionary. Anderson offered to give a significant portion of his wealth to the covenant, but they wanted it all. And if memory serves me correctly from my history of the covenant course, it's also known as I Love the Cub course. That case was in the courts for some 20 years. Eventually, as I recall, they were awarded something like $20,000, which doesn't sound like much to us today. It was a significant sum then, but not anything close to what they were hoping to, to gain. So yes, greed can affect individuals, believers, even churches and church bodies. Did you know that the Bible gives a list of qualifications for pastors? And among them, it says this in 1 Timothy, not a lover of money. Now, there are certain measures that the church has put in place to ensure that I'm not even tempted in that way. I don't count the money. I don't touch the money. I don't even see the money. I don't even have the combination to the safe. If you want to know, I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. I don't have access to the church check account. I don't have a church credit card. I don't think it's because I'm not trusted. But rather, just don't want to put that temptation in the way. And some churches are happy to keep their pastor humble and poor. I'm grateful that's not you. <laughs> Greed is not something that you want your pastor to struggle with. And yet we are human. And like the other vices that we've looked at so far, I feel a twinge of conviction. And I, it probably should be more than a twinge of conviction when it comes to greed about things that most of us take for granted as Americans. What I'm saying is that many of us may struggle with greed more than we realize, but it, has, it is just so much part of our culture and, and society that we don't even recognize it for what it is. Greed is defined as an intense and selfish desire to acquire more stuff or accumulate wealth. It influences spending, buying, selling, saving, giving, borrowing, lending, investing, and voting. And like the other vices, Jesus has something to say about the vice or sin of greed. Actually, Jesus said quite a lot about greed and wealth and how these things have a grip on our hearts. In fact, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, you can hardly miss how much Jesus talks about greed and wealth and, and warns rich people. But I think the problem is this. We don't think he's talking to us. We hear him say a certain rich man, and we think, oh, he's talking about the top 1%. Friends, we are rich. We are rich. In, in, in view of the rest of the world, what, what it has, every one of us here is rich. And so you should not think he's talking about someone else. But when Jesus talks about the rich people, when he's talking about wealth and he's giving warnings, we should take heed. How have these things ensnared our own hearts, gotten in the way of our own relationship with God? 
rather than being dismissive of what Jesus says. Our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 12. You can go there if you want with me. It's page 1009, Luke 12, beginning with verse 13. Let's hear God's word. Someone in the crowd, and by the way, this is a crowd of thousands, as it says at the beginning of verse 12. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells us, it's a rather memorable story of a man who is, if you listen, he's already rich. And he enjoyed an especially fruitful year, a good harvest, a bumper crop, and he decides to build even bigger barns than he had to store up the excess. Hoarding it, actually, is the implication, so that he can take life easy. But as the story unfolds, we discover that it was all for naught. Because he would not live to enjoy it. So what prompted this story was a man in the crowd with a request to Jesus. He wanted his share of the inheritance. Greed shows up in countless ways and, and in situations, but I, it's, this, it's especially ugly when it's family members quarreling over inheritance, and sometimes I've seen it happen before the fun- funeral's even finished. That is the situation that Jesus is presented with. And his response, watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Wow. Really, Jesus? Because that's not what we're taught. Greed distorts our attachments because it demotes everything it desires to something that can be merely bought, possessed, owned, or controlled. The truth is that what we possess and the money that we accumulate offers no satisfaction unless it is used in a way that cultivates our higher order desires of love, family, sense of place, community, church, and God. But when greed takes root in the heart, it it prevents even believers from being free for the Lord. Greed is like a pernicious weed that grows and spreads and winds and ensnares its way around our hearts. In one sense, we can hear Jesus' story and the story of this rich man who built bigger barns and we can commend him, right? Right? I mean, think about this. From from our perspective, wouldn't you commend this man for being wise, building bigger barns, thinking about the future, being frugal, planning for his security, future security? Is it any different than, than, than 
the ways that we plan for retirement with our pensions and 401ks and tax-sheltered annuities, investments and savings. The stock market's doing well. And so many breathe a, breathe a little easier. And as Americans, we come to expect or hope that our futures will be comfortably secure. The point, of course, that Jesus is making is that this rich man put all his trust in what he owned or possessed or had laid up for the future while giving no thought to what that future could actually hold. It's why the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also, where he addressed the problem of greed, Matthew six nineteen, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, Jesus said, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, make eternal investments, kingdom investments. And Jesus famously said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. By the way, I remember a pastor saying many years ago, I heard him preach a message similar to this, and he said, look at your pocketbook, look at your checkbook. What is it that you spend your money on? What do you devote your time and attention to? Perhaps today we might say, what are you looking at on Facebook or Marketplace or, or Amazon or Wayfair or any other things? Zillow, <laughs> okay? Guilty. Um, so when you look at all the time and the money and where it's directed, it will say something about your heart. And it will be convicting. Got some uh, figures to share with you about building bigger barns, I suppose. is a problem if your treasure is not in heaven. So take a look at some of these uh, numbers that should come up on the screen here in a second. First one, 300,000. What is that? It's the average number of items in the American home. Isn't that crazy? No, I just cleaned out my mother's house. I'd say it's pretty close to that. <laughs> Next one. 3X, three times. Here it is. The, Amer the average American home has tripled in size over the past 50 years. That's crazy. It's crazy. Do we really need that? Next one. 238. What's that? It's the number of toys that the average 10-year-old has, and yet they only play with about 12 of them in a day. Next one, 25, what's that? The percentage of people with two-car garages who cannot park in their garage. <laughs> eight years, oh, this one, I'm, I have to apologize ahead of time. This is a bad one for Mother's Day, but let's look. Eight years, the amount of time in their lives that women spend shopping. Oh, it's quiet. <laughs> I'm going to guess that includes all the shopping that they did for groceries to fix meals, okay? I would hope. Uh, 93. What is that? I don't remember that one. Oh, the percentage of teenage girls who rank shopping as their favorite pastime. Yeah. 12 and 60. Hmm. Okay. So this is 12% of the world's population lives in North America and Western Europe, but consumes or that accounts for 60% of private consumption. Whereas, look at the next numbers. 33 and 3.2. 33% of the world's population, a third of the world's population lives in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa and yet only accounts for 3.2% of the world's consumption. Have you ever seen people worshiping in Africa? Have you seen, you've seen videos of that, right? Or if you've been there, the joy, the happiness that they find. And look at Americans. People who have 
so little in other places in the world, even believers who have so much joy in the Lord, and many of us, what does that say about us? Uh, let's see, is there another one up there yet? Maybe that's it. That's it. Okay, you can take it down. Thank you. So, um, the fastest growing, listen, the fastest growing segment of, of the commercial industry, real estate, for four decades now, is off-site storage. There's enough storage right now in the United States for every man, woman, and child to stand in a storage unit covered under a roof. That's how much storage there is in the U.S. right now. It isn't enough that our houses are three times the size they were 50 years ago or that we have one, two, and three-car garages and pole barns and sheds. We also have all this off-site storage. I was at an estate sale just a few weeks ago in Lakewood. I've never been to one of those right away in the morning on the first day when it opens. I didn't know how that worked. Got to grab a number. so Otherwise, it would be a stampede, right? So people show up. They grab a number. They get to go in according to their number. I was there with a friend. That's why we were there early in the morning. He had something particular that he was looking for. Interestingly, as we were... St- By the way, he... he he went away empty-handed, didn't get what he, was, what he came for, but I left with a piece of furniture that I wasn't looking for, that I didn't need, but I had to have. So, And as we're standing in line waiting to go into the house, I'm hearing people talking. I don't know why I'm here. I don't need anything more. I could have my own estate sale. But there we are, looking for more stuff, looking for a bargain. Hate to miss something good. So in our scripture this morning in Luke 12, Jesus warns that greed is very prevalent and it comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And if you read on in the verses, the verses following what I read for you, they echo Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And there in that verse, Jesus says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear, worrying, fretting, anxiety over finances, fear of the future or not having enough, or if they're not being enough, a sense of scarcity or a fear of scarcity, grabbing, clutching, clinging, hoarding, none of these produces anything good in us. They are toxic to the soul. They are detrimental to the with God life. And Jesus' point is that one can trust God to provide, the same God who cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Jesus is not only warning about greed, he's also giving the antidote or virtue that counters it, which is hope. Greed has a time factor to it. By that I mean that we are often focused on the future and we want what we want now. Or we are fearful that it won't be ours in the future or available to us in the future. But Jesus tells us not to worry about the future, not to be fearful about it, and not to orient ourselves in a way that ensures our future. And I have to tell you that as, as, the, as, as, as I get closer to retirement age, I find these words challenging, convicting. How do I prepare adequately, and how do I not worry or be consumed or care? Hope calls us to wait on God. Jesus invites us to truly put our trust in God. And it has more to do, which has more to do with trusting him than simply the words on our money. It has to be the orientation of our hearts to trust in God, to put our hope in him. Hope calls us to wait on God for everything that we have and need. 
It's why Jesus taught us to pray. Listen, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us have enough bread for many days, if not years. Give us this day our daily bread. Martin Luther said these words teach us not to be greedy or wasteful or to worry about the future, but to live contentedly in the confidence that the Lord will give us what we need. Maybe an illustration on this Mother's Day is is in order. We are to trust God in the same way that we trusted our mothers in their arms, at their breasts, as infants, as toddlers, as little children. I don't remember ever worrying about where my next meal was coming from growing up. And, I, and my family, we did not have much. In fact, probably by many standards, we were poor. My dad often had to work two jobs to make ends meet. Family of seven. House with three bedrooms and one bath. It was a hardship. <laughs> but mom seemed to find ways to always make ends meet, to get by, to get through. When I was cleaning the house out a month or so ago when I was home, I came across one of those wide-line tablet pieces of paper that she had saved for some reason when I was in first grade and in big block letters. It says, Dear Mom, I need a paper tablet, Rick. (laughs) Why she saved that, I don't know. (sighs) Anyway. (laughs) But even then, I knew if I needed something, I simply asked my mother. The point that Jesus is making is that we can trust God our Father in the same way that we have trusted our mothers when, they were, when, when we were young. Jesus invites us to trust God, to put our hope in God in the same way. And it seems quite simple, doesn't it? But if greed and fear has a hold of your heart, you will probably bristle at the naivete of that. Our lives do not have to be defined or driven by greed, but it can be overcome by growing in the virtue of hope. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether in plenty or in want. Paul learned the secret of being content, whether he had little, whether he had nothing, or whether he had plenty. Hope in God means relinquishing our own semblance of control of the future. It is no small thing to hand over our futures to God's history, which is promised but not yet actualized. Listen, greed is is a timely vice in that it attempts to gather not only the world to ourselves and our immediate desires, but to take control of the future for these selfish desires. Hope is a timely virtue because it recognizes that history is the Lord's. And that God's promise of salvation will satisfy the desires of every human heart. Consider this. We are often struck by the tremendous joy found in believers in other parts of the world, as I said, who have nothing. While we just keep on clutching and grabbing for more and wonder why there's little joy in our religion. Might it be that our God is being exposed for what it is? I'm convicted by this message too. Thank God for Jesus who supplies all I need to rest in Him. Let's pray.
Faithful and loving God, teach us truly to trust in you at all times and in all circumstances, whether in plenty or in want. Lord, help us to discover the secret of being content. Make us grateful for what we have and generous toward you and others with our abundance. Grant us hope and, Lord, banish all greed from our hearts that our hearts may be free to love and serve you and our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.